I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate, cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back for another episode, folks. It is tough to be sitting inside today. It is one of those days in the North End here, uh, Sioux Falls, where the birds are singing, the bees are buzzing. I actually got to go for a nice long uh, walk earlier today, kind of down to the, the Sioux Falls, the city's namesake, and just enjoy this beautiful weather, but uh, kind of back in studio here in the North End. And I am joined today by a friend of mine, Nick Michaels. We're going to talk about St. Thomas More as we uh, go to the air tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon, June 15th. We're a week out from St. Thomas More's feast day on June 22nd, uh, a feast day that he shares with uh, St. John Fisher. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, and what a great topic. And there are some really exciting things that I want to share with the listeners. We're going to talk a little bit about a St. Thomas More Society and what that is, what it means, kind of your hopes for it. But before we launch in to this great person who is St. Thomas More, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. I uh, kind of grew up in Sioux Falls, at least from sophomore year on. Uh, our family moved out here when I was sophomore in high school. We immediately fell in love with the Midwest. People out here are just so down to earth. Uh, my dad would say salt of the earth type people. Mm. Um, so we, we kind of had a certain conversion experience. You know, we grew up Catholic, but it, it was, you know, you kind of go through the motions. But here it just seemed like we were witnessing a certain fire. Um, and from there, I, I uh, went to college seminary up at the University of St. Thomas, majored in Catholic studies and philosophy. And, and I, I fostered there a real desire to be a part of the new evangelization at, at the Second Vatican Council and uh, St. John Paul II were really promulgating. Uh, and it's kind of looked for ways to do that too, even, even after I left seminary. How can I, Nick Michaels, how can I participate and help build up the church on earth? That's beautiful. And I want to just step back because it seemed to me as you were just telling very briefly the story of your family coming to South Dakota, that there was perhaps a link between moving to the heartland and this um, flourishing of the heart of faith. Can you maybe just say a little more about that? You've piqued my interest. Like what, what happened? How did it happen? Well, you know, I, I don't want to poo-poo necessarily the, the, the West Coast, but it just kind of seemed like... Uh, you were moving from California. I was, well, Washington State. Washington, the, the, okay. The similar culture, I would say. You know, yeah. uh, it seemed like there was an unspoken rule, or maybe it just seemed unspoken because I wasn't aware of it, but that your faith was kind of your own private business. Mm. Uh, but, you know, when we come out here, and it, it's so very much a part of people's lives. Even, even some of the little things that, that you maybe take for granted, like... Uh, we were driving down the street during Lent and we see that McDonald's has <laughs> special on their fish filet sandwiches. You know, they're, they're actually, you know, yeah. catering to, the, to yeah. the Christian culture out here. And that was so foreign to us. Uh, and I just remember too, even going to mass and, and it seemed like the, the priests were a little bit more on fire at the pulpit. But I was actually curious to hear what they had to say. So, Oh, praise God. That's so good. Yeah. And I, just to share a brief anecdote too, when Hannah and I moved here from another state four years ago, back home for me, I was raised here. But Hannah had this experience. She was at the library with, the, with our kids, and uh, we had just moved here. And she overheard another conversation in a public place between two women. 
And one woman was describing to the other woman how she felt that the Holy Spirit was speaking to her and calling her to a particular church. And Hannah was intrigued. She's like, nobody would ever have this conversation in a public place, uh, you know, where we had just moved from. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that it was a Catholic parish um, here in, in the great state of South Dakota, where under God, the people rule, as I like to remind people, as it says on the flag that, that hangs from my porch. Mm. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, just a, a delightful thing. So you went to, you went to St. Thomas, you were studying in the seminary, studying Catholic studies and philosophy. You're not a priest right now? I'm not, no. In fact, I just, uh, just got engaged this last weekend. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a great, great thing. Beautiful vocation. But professionally, so now you're called to the married state, but professionally, where did you find yourself ending up? The last place I probably thought I would. Uh, I'm practicing law, actually. I'm a, a deputy state's attorney for Minnehaha County here in Sioux Falls. Uh, I remember actually in... Uh, in college, that was kind of a, a track that a lot of philosophy majors went, especially seminarians who aren't going to be priests. But I was always concerned about being very worldly. Mm. Uh, it just seemed to me that lawyers were, were guys who made a lot of money and had these big, you know, fancy houses, boats. And I, just, I didn't want to get caught up in that. But it's proven to me to be a very uh, admirable profession. I just love it. It, it. Well, it is admirable. And, like, there's this um – Poorly kept secret that not all lawyers are like raking it in. We do have a boat in my family, uh-huh. but it's a canoe and you have to paddle it. So um, what was the attraction to law for you? Where did, So you never saw yourself going that direction, but you did at some point. Why? I mean, it was totally random. I'd have to go into a huge story, but someone suggested to me one time that they thought I'd make a good lawyer. And they showed me a sample law school application test. And I was fascinated because it wasn't testing what you knew, it was testing how you think. So you're talking about the LSAT. The LSAT, yes. Yeah. Um, the infamous LSAT. Exactly. I just loved those logic games, believe it or not. <laughs> I kind of did too. <laughs> and, you know, I did well enough that uh, I thought, well, I should really see if I can, uh, any law school would take me. And, and uh, Ave Maria School of Law down in Naples, Florida, not only accepted my application, but offered me a very generous scholarship. Sure. Um, and I just actually really loved school. I mean, if I could make a career out of being a student, I would do that. Sure. (laughs) Uh, So I went more so for the kind of just, I was curious about the intersection uh, between faith and the law. I I knew that going to a school like Ave Maria, the Catholic intellectual tradition would would be enlightening uh, the study of law down there. And that's exactly what I found. So I've, I've often wondered if there's something in the Catholic DNA, if you will, that is attracted to law. And so just to give a, a short example, um, and this is a bit of a shame on us too, but the 2015, I realized this in 2015 when the Supreme Court, um, uh, their decision, Obergefell versus Hodges, just an, frankly, an awful decision. It, it mandated same-sex marriage on every state in the union, um, no vote of the people, contrary to the natural law. But I realized, okay, the, the dissenters, all the dissenters are Catholic, but we've also got uh, Justice Kennedy, who wrote the decision, was baptized Catholic. I don't know if he's practicing, but six of those nine justices on the court were actually Catholic. Uh, obviously, uh, several of them, like, not 
recognizing following the natural law of maybe kind of lost their way, but it's made me wonder just the fact that they've entered the profession. If there's something within the Catholic DNA that is attracted to the profession of law, what do, what do you think? Uh, I 100% agree. I mean, Why? Well, I, I think it, in large part it's because, uh, you know, we're talking like civil law is what I, I think you're talking about. Yes. Here. Uh, civil law, or at least, uh, the Catholic's understanding of civil law is that it should be rooted ultimately in, in natural law. And natural law, of course, is rooted in divine law, God's law. Uh, and so, you know, when I'm, when I'm engaging with people on, on oftentimes subjects of uh, social issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, and whatnot, I, I'm beginning from, uh, not from where often our Protestant brothers and sisters start, and that's, you know, all the Bible says that this is wrong. Uh, I can appreciate that line of argument, but I, I go back to basic principles, things that, that, that pertain to all humanity, regardless of whether or not you believe in the divinity of Christ and divine revelation. And that's natural law, something that pertains to all of us. Uh, and, and it seems like it, it's, it's a, a perfect place to begin evangelizing because you're, you're going to common ground yeah. where people, yeah. people can, can understand uh, something that's that's not totally reserved for those of us who are believers. And for I, I think folks that have been listening to this show probably have heard that term before natural law and have a sense of what it is. In a nutshell, if you've never heard it, it's it's the proposition that one can proceed directly from what is to ought. So we observe nature and we we using our our rational minds can do deduce rules for right action from what is. So, you know, just marriage as, as uh, a union between a man and a woman, a fruitful union, we can deduce that from like the reproductive capacities of, of, of man and woman, or even like thou shalt not kill, of like the goodness of life itself. And like what it, so I don't know if you'd have anything to add to that, but like that's so natural law. And one of the basic principles of sort of Catholic thought is that the law, the positive law, the civil law should never contradict the natural law should exactly. proceed, proceed from it. So, ah, that's really fascinating, but we, okay. We're already 10 minutes in. <laughs> well, we got to get to Thomas more because his feast day is coming up in a week and you got to break the news. This is big news. Yeah. Tell us what's just happened. I certainly hope it is. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're several lawyers in, in Sioux Falls Diocese, and even Rapid City, too. We're reaching out to Rapid City. We're, we're trying to get a coalition together of, of Catholic attorneys in the state uh, who, it's, and it's not just that we're, we're attorneys and we happen to be Catholic. It's we, we are striving to integrate into the way that we practice law our Catholic identity, mm. our, our approach to, to morality, our approach to, to life. We want to be able to, to be a resource in a lot of ways to the faithful of people of South Dakota who are maybe looking for an attorney and want to make sure that they're being led along the path, uh, whatever it is they have to navigate through law, being led by someone who shares that same, those same values. So this, the namesake, in a lot of places, you know, there, there are Catholic lawyers, guilds, or groups in a lot of different places, and not always, but oftentimes they take Thomas More as their patron, as the namesake of their group. Why him? If, I, I think people have heard of him, but... Sure. Yeah, and he's the patron saint of, uh, of lawyers, attorneys, and, uh, well, actually, what was that quote you threw out to me a while back? Well, this is, this is really interesting. So, 1929, G.K. Chesterton, who is the great sort of English 
you know, apologist, essayist, a convert to Catholicism, uh, known by some as the apostle of common sense, just the way that he unpacked kind of, I mean, really, he unpacked the natural law with sort of a meat and potatoes language, Mm -hmm. just a brilliant fellow. Um, In 1929, he wrote a little book on Thomas More, and he said that uh, Thomas is more important now than at any moment since his death. And he he was executed in 1535. Mm -hmm. More important now than than at any moment since his death. But he is not so important now as he will be in 100 years' time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if... If you if you believe his idea that that uh, G.K. Chesterton is a, really in many ways a prophet, certainly with, with what he's saying here, I think groups like ours, this Thomas More Society, is is exactly what he's talking about. Uh, we're we're one group here in South Dakota, but there are Thomas More guilds, Thomas More Societies springing up all over the uh, certainly the United States. Um, he's sort of the 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 standard bearer here, the 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 figurehead, if you will, of what it is that we're trying to do, and that's. Uh, make sure that that the church isn't isn't uh, blocked out here in society. That the law hasn't really sort of marginalized us. Are you concerned about that happening? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I think it's it's becoming very apparent, if not already, to, to everyone that that what I was experiencing on the West Coast that, that people kind of relegated faith to a private, you know, your own private affair. I think that's what you're seeing on the federal level. People will tolerate it to a certain extent, but they don't want you preaching it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what uh, Chesterton had an intuition of um, without knowing details, but like, okay, this is coming, the decline of Christendom. And there's this book that it's sort of making the rounds. I think we've maybe talked about it in the show before. If we haven't, we got to get somebody on to talk about this. The, the, the book is, um, from Christendom to apostolic mission, you know, we're, the idea being uh, Christendom, a prevailing culture in which Christian values predominate yes. so that one can live a generally good life, even if you're just kind of going with the flow, mm-hmm. that time is over with. And we now we need to be ready to sort of paddle against the current. We do. With yes. vigor. <laughs> you can't ever just be uh, complacent or comfortable. The Catholic life is not one of comfort. <laughs> Yeah, well, in the Catholic, you mentioned Catholic studies earlier. You studied in the Catholic studies department. Yeah. When I was studying uh, law, I, I took my degree at St. Thomas and had the chance to take an upper level graduate course in the Catholic studies department, sort of a, an exchange course, if you will. It wasn't strictly speaking law, but we had the opportunity to claim the credits. I took a course on St. Thomas More, and I really just like, oh my goodness, what a friend. Mm. What a friend. And And what I saw in him was that not only did he, was he, not only was he a public man, like he had a sense of citizenship and statesmanship and really an acute sense of the needs of the church vis-a-vis um, a countervailing um, pressure from the king. He also desired virtue he did. and holiness. Mm-hmm. What role does this play in the life of a Catholic lawyer. Oh, it should be central in many ways. I mean, it, it, if you're not if you're not constantly needing to to consult, you know, our faith and, and can, can consider exactly the decisions that you're making. I mean, it, it can be very easy to just get kind of get caught up in in the the way most people just do things in in our career. You know, just. You know, I, for example, I, I work with people who often, you know, because I'm a state's attorney, I'm 
doing a lot of work in criminal law and I can work with people who are, who are concerned with really just what, what can I win? Yeah. You know, is this a case that I can, I can win? Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily fault that, but, but that's not, that's not my starting point. My, my starting point is always what's the just thing to do here. Mm. And it's, you know, and when you're in, undergrad school, uh, university, it's easy to talk about justice and principle, but now we're talking about having to actually apply these principles to very specific facts. Uh, and so without having that anchor in the faith and in, in God's love and understanding of justice and how it, how it, uh, cooperates with mercy, uh, I, I don't know if I could answer those questions very well. You know, is there any, uh, and I'm going to bring this out of left field. You're not expecting this question, but I'm just really curious. Like, is there any particular, when you say consult the church, or, I mean, you're talking about sort of a, an openness of heart, a docility to the church as our mother to help us, like, form not just our minds, but our hearts in the application of principles such as justice. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular... I don't know, encyclical or spiritual reading or, you know, where have you drawn inspiration, strength, uh, moral clarity? Sure. From? Uh, I would say any of the, the social encyclicals uh, uh, from, you know, Leo Thirteenth, I believe it was, who did, wrote Rerum Navarum. Yeah. Uh, we have Santissimus Anus, uh, all those social encyclicals. Uh, and I would even say Veritatis Splendor, uh, John Paul II's, cyclical on truth. I, I've had to, a lot of that has really influenced some of the big cases that I've had, or not even necessarily big cases, but big decisions. Sure. Uh, you know, I can give you an example. I had a, a lady one time in court who uh, was there on a petty theft uh, and she had pled guilty. And as I was reading through the facts, I'm, I'm seeing she had stolen some food. Uh, her kids were there. She, she was really hungry, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, you did the crime, you, you got to do the time. And, and certainly I wouldn't have been uh, outside uh, reasonableness to hold her feet to the fire. But I was rec- recalling the fact that one of the social and technicals, maybe several of them, talk about how the fruits of the earth really belong to everyone. And that if stealing is the only way, really, that you can feed yourself, there's really no sin in that. Now, granted, that's not a that's not a license for everyone out there who's hungry to just go take anything that they want. Of course, um, but she had no record, you yeah. know. And I recognize that with a, with a theft on her record, it's going to make it that much harder for her to even get a job to feed her kids. Yeah. Um, so you know, we worked out a deal, and, and, and in my mind, that was that was a just thing to do and the merciful thing to do. Sure. And you know, in the life of Thomas too, there are so many of these examples where he really had a reputation, not just as a man deeply attuned to the demands of justice, but also as a man who would exercise mercy, you know, and and there's room for that. Like the law isn't this cold, uncalculating, or this cold, calculating, like unfeeling thing. It's, it's totally appropriate. And it's, um, yeah, what a just, like, what a good outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the things, too, that's just so striking in the life of St. Thomas More um, is that the outcome for him, one might say, uh, is, a, is a hard outcome. You know, he's, he's a saint. He's martyred. So, okay, in that sense, like, uh, praise God, heaven. But he's martyred. He gets, you know, he gets his head. He gets his head cut off. He does. Which to me says that there are 
consequences mm -hmm. to living a life of integrity. There are. What is, you know, what, what are your hopes for a St. Thomas More Society in terms of like, just, I don't know, this virtue of courage. It seems like in so many ways, Thomas More is like a, a patron of those who need courage. Yes. Which, honestly, in the political world, that's, that's a virtue that is really necessary, is the virtue of courage. It is, and it's a, it's a difficult one, too. I mean, you're constantly, there's, there's constant political pressure, it seems to me, the higher, the higher up you climb in the political world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's always this, the silent majority, it seems like, uh, and always more of a vocal minority. Uh, one of the other fruits, I think, of having a group like this, and that's, it's not just a resource for the lady, but it's a resource to other Catholic attorneys sure. uh, in the state of South Dakota. Uh, you know, we, we want to be able to, to lean on one another and draw support from one another. Yeah, encourage, you know, courage comes in numbers <laughs> right. and, and we'll be able, I think, to, to, to stand our ground firmly and, and to proclaim the gospel yes. boldly when we are, when we're standing alongside uh, others who have those same convictions. Yeah. And I think that's even just like courage, courage comes in numbers. Courage is contagious. This is reflected even in, so uh, Thomas More shares his feast day with John Fisher. Thomas was actually executed a few weeks later on, on July 6th. But I think the point being is that, like, saints come in clusters. You know, you know we see clusters of saints together. Mm -hmm. So to pursue holiness, especially for those who are sharing a particular, uh, you know, professional vocation, or we have, like, the same sorts of things in common, like, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I really pray, God, just like pour out courage upon all the people who are going to participate. I agree. What, uh, Nick, and I know this is like a work in progress and um, kind of just getting things launched here, but what are some of the things that you hope to, that the St. Thomas More Society will do, mm -hmm. like just practically? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I, I mentioned being a resource to the faithful, being a resource to the Catholic attorneys, but also... I think it's important that our group be caught up in this new evangelization that, that the Vatican II and John Paul II were really promulgating. Yes. Uh, you know, we as attorneys have a very unique uh, role in that we, we know the legal world and we can uh, use that as a, as, a, as a tool of preaching the gospel. So, I mean, I, I've had several ideas float through my mind, but the first one I can even throw out here is I'd like for us to be involved in some of these uh college campuses and the Newman centers, mm. uh, you know, there's the law school down in Vermilion. There's a Newman center down there. I believe focus has a presence down there. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see that we get involved down there having some event, maybe talking about some of the big Supreme court cases that are coming down the, the pike or ones that just occurred and what these, what these cases really mean. I, I think that there's, it's easy to grab kind of headlines and sound bites from what you see out in the media, but to, we want to really unpack that for the faithful in the diocese or even people who are curious to, to learn more about the, the Catholic position and say, how does this ruling affect you? How does this affect us as Americans, us as Catholics, as Christians, as people in general? Yeah. Well, what a great resource. And I know too, like, um, you know, these professional organizations can be not only a resource to, to students and the, and the lay faithful, but even to a, to a great extent, uh, or to a certain extent, I should say, to like to, to priests that are, you know, wanting input 
It's because civil law, you know, the church is, uh, the clerics of the church, their competencies in faith and morals. So even just having, um, you know, trustworthy lawyers who they know they can rely on to help, you know, kind of unpack civil law. And Mm -hmm. so what a great thing. And I know kind of coming up this week too is a, the South Dakota State Bar Association is having its nice. annual meeting in South Dakota. If there's anybody listening in right now that is either a lawyer or, you know, maybe a devotion to Thomas More because they're a politician or maybe not a lawyer, but, but a Catholic politician, anybody that kind of connected to More, there's going to be an opportunity to do a little, little networking or, and meet other like-minded people. Do you want to share just a little bit about Uh, this opportunity to kind of just meet and hang out a little bit this week? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen Thursday around 4 o'clock. It's after an ethics presentation at the bar convention. uh, What is the Crooked Pinedale House? Is that Crooked Pinedale House (laughs) up on uh, Russell Avenue in Sioux Falls. Right right near the convention center. It's just just an opportunity for for those of us uh, who, like Chris said, like-minded. We could be Catholic politicians, Catholic attorneys, even those who want to learn more. Uh, You know, we're even open to make our... uh, allow candid lawyers into the group sure. uh, to just connect with one another. Uh, and, and, you know, it, 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 I'm a firm believer in, in grassroots. So that's, that's where, that's where fruit tends to come not from the top down, but from the bottom up. And this is where to get started here at the bottom up is let's get together with one another. Let's talk about what we'd all like to see uh, happen in, in the diocese. And more importantly, how we want, want God to, to direct what it is we're doing. Oh, so that fruit yeah. comes from this work. Yeah, that's so good. And I know, too, just like speaking, we've got two new bishops, relatively new in the state of South Dakota, and both of them are just very interested in in the work of evangelization, the very necessary work of evangelization, which, yeah, I, I mean, you know this, Nick, they, uh, the bishop, they, they don't have the opportunity to, to be in the courtroom. They don't get to be, you know, down at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. That's not their, that's not their vocation. No. It's, it's, it's ours. Yeah. Um, you know what we've got, let's see about two minutes left here. What, what more do you want to talk about or what do you want to like highlight for people that, that really captures maybe the essence of what you're doing or what's like really at the heart of the matter? Well, I, I'm glad you say that because I mean, really at the heart of the matter for me was uh, Vatican II's document Lumen Gentium, mm. uh, which was talking about exactly what you were saying, Chris, that you know, the, the, the religious, the priests, the bishops and sisters, you know, they, they have a wonderful, beautiful vocation but they, they don't have the same opportunity that we do to evangelize to the world. Mm. Uh, we're, we're a part of this world, our, our vocations, that we're in the court, these attorneys, at least, we're in the courtrooms, we're in the offices, or we're, we're directly engaged with the people who are in this world and maybe aren't uh, going to the churches. And I think it's incumbent upon all Catholics out there to consider, how can I use my career as an opportunity, as a vessel to preach the gospel? to do as St. Francis said, to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You know, maybe you don't have a, a job that, that's, uh, you know, uh, on a, a platform like ours, but that doesn't mean that, that you can't have that same opportunity to, to bring the gospel in, in some way. Like, for example, my, my uh, fiance, she, she's a, a hairdresser, you know, yeah. and she gets to know her client. She loves yeah. her job because she gets people coming in questioning her all the time. That's an opportunity for her to sit, talk, build a relationship, and use different opportunities to bring the gospel in. So ask yourself, what is it that I can do with the, with the place that I am in, at in life to bring God's word 
to the people of this world. Very well put. Well, Nick, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show to talk about St. Thomas More Society. Hey, and thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in once more. If this triggered something for you, uh, I don't mean triggered like triggered, but like, <laughs> hey, if, if this piqued your interest and like, hey, I want to know more, you can go to sdcatholicconference.org, click contact us, send me a note, and I'll put you in touch with Nick. Until next time, live well. Live well.